Okay, this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1 with me this morning, we're beginning a series in the book of Isaiah. And uh, why don't we read the text first and then we'll pray? Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 this morning. Um, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather. I've had a cold all week, so I'm hoping that I can make it through the second service, but you're lucky you're being here at the first service. It's in case I don't, so we'll see what happens. Amen? The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who acted corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, not softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. Father, we're thankful every time we get together on Sunday mornings to open your word. Lord, it's a light and a lamp for us. May your Holy Spirit take the words penned by Isaiah so many years ago, have application and encouragement for us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. In my lifetime, I've seen uh, 13 presidents come and go. I wrote them down. Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush the Elder, Clinton, Bush the Younger, and finally, Mr. Obama. Some of them were good men, very good men. Some of them were not so good. There's been some things that have been real victories during those years, and there's been other things that were not so good. Some things needed to be changed, and other things should not have been changed during their time. Our country has changed quite a bit since I came to the scene in late 1941. The reason I say that is because we're going to beginning a book in the book of Isaiah, uh, mostly, uh, Isaiah's ministry was in the southern kingdom, 
And the kings that were listed here, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, I counted the years up, and it's over 104, 105 years. Now, Isaiah didn't live that long, but those kings reigned during that time. And some of them were very good men, and others of them were not so good. The southern kingdom was blessed because they had good men. The northern kingdom, I don't think there was one good king, if I remember right. There wasn't one good king in the northern kingdom. But in the southern kingdom, they had some good kings. We'll look at four of them. There were some wonderful things happened during their reign, and also there were some things that were not so good. Found in these 66 chapters are some incredible promises made about the coming of the Messiah. We'll look at those. But also at the same time, there are some lessons from history and some insights that can be applied to believers no matter what age they live in. And we'll take a look at those. So um, I have come across four um, insights, I'll call them, four insights that kind of lay a good foundation for this study that will take place over the coming months. So let's take a look at it. Four things that we need to understand, four insights that will really be helpful in the book of Isaiah. The first is we need to understand some facts about the kings in Isaiah's time. We need to understand some facts about the kings in Isaiah's time. There are four of them. Most likely, Isaiah was born late in Uzziah's reign. Late in Uzziah's reign, because we see his calling. We'll see that in chapter 6, where it says, In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So it was late in his reign, late in his reign. Their stories are found in 2 Kings, chapter 15 through 18, but also a much more detailed account is found in 2 Chronicles, chapters 26 through 32. So if you want to read ahead, 2 Chronicles 26, 32 will give you the flavor of what was going on during Isaiah's reign. Um, but this morning we won't turn to this. I'll just give you kind of a lay of the land, so to speak. We'll just review these kings. The first is Uzziah, but he's also named as Azariah. You'll see his name as Azariah or Uzziah, in, um, especially in Chronicles and 2 Kings. Uzziah reigned 52 years. 52 years, a long kingdom. Began in the year 790 B.C., so approximately 790 years before the birth of Christ. This is when the time uh, we'll be talking about. Now, Uzziah was uh, labeled, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good man. His reign began really prosperous. He was greatly blessed by the Lord. He was kind of an engineer. If you read about him in 2 Kings, he devised many um, weapons of war that enabled him to defeat his enemies. So he was greatly used by the Lord. However, late in his life, he became proud of his power. And at his height of his power, he decided to go into the temple and offer up incense in other words, taking the place of both king and priest. And when he was rebuked by the high priest, he was enraged that they would say anything to him. And at that time, he immediately was struck with leprosy. 
And he spent the balance of his life hidden in the house by himself, unable to come out and able to worship the Lord in the temple because he was leprous and his son Jotham reigned in his place. It began well, but he ended poorly. Jotham, his son, reigned 16 years and everything that's written about Jotham, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good man. However, it's made note that the people acted corruptly because they kept offering up sacrifices and incense on the high places, on the high places, like the pagans did. But Jotham was a good man. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. His son Ahaz also reigned 16 years after him, but it's reported that he did not do right And he followed the ways of the northern kingdom and worshipped Baal. It is even said that he offered up some of his sons to to, uh, sacrifice. He asked them to pass through fire, which means he gave them over to Baal. And because he was such a wicked man, the Lord caused uh, the kingdom of Aram and also the northern kingdom to trouble him and defeat him. And so rather than calling on the Lord, he called on Assyria to come and help him. But rather than Assyria helping him, they troubled him so much so that he had to pay them off with the riches that he robbed from the temple. Ahaz did not do right in the eyes of the Lord. And the people were given over to worship of Baal. And they forsook the worship of the true and living God. His son, Hezekiah, reigned 29 years, and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good man. He cleansed his temple. He reestablished the the priesthood. He reestablished the Passover, which had been let go for many, many years. He even called some of the people from the northern kingdoms to come down and worship the Lord. He was a good man. Late in his life, the Assyrians that had been led down there by his father came and surrounded Jerusalem. You remember the story. And Isaiah and Hezekiah went into the temple and called on the name of the Lord. And what did the Lord do? In one night, he sent an angel and defeated the enemies of Israel and scattered Assyria. It was a great victory. Later on in his life, he had a cancerous sore, many things, many people think. And he was miraculously healed by the Lord, but he became proud. And in the last few years of his life, he allowed the um, emissaries from Babylon to come and see everything that he gave, everything that he had. He just bragged and bragged. And the Lord told him through Isaiah, well, everything that they saw in just a few years will be them. So that's the tenor of the people that were alive during Isaiah's time. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Some of them were good. Some of them not so good. Let's take a look at the second insight. We need to understand the spiritual climate. Understand the spiritual climate in Isaiah's time. Verses 2 through 6. The spiritual climate was not good. Look what it says. Sons I have reared and brought up, 
and they have revolted against me. They have revolted against me. He makes two comparisons, did you see? Two comparisons that are made in the text. The first is, an ox knows its owner, verse 3, and a donkey its master. A donkey its master's manger, excuse me. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Now an ox and a donkey weren't the smartest animals. They were rather slow and they were rather disobedient. They didn't obey real easily. But they knew who its master was and they knew who was taking care of them. But what does it say about Israel? But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Then the second uh, comparison he makes is with a person who has been stricken or has been ill. Look at verses 5 and 6. Where will you be stricken again? Will you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. A sick person, but also an injured person. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, raw wounds, not press, not bandage. So a sick person or a stricken person with injuries and there's nothing that's been done for them makes two illustrations. I was thinking about the ox and the donkey. Animals can be really smart. I have a cat called Oreo. Oreo, he's black and white. He's a pretty smart cat. He's a hunter. Oh, he loves to hunt those lizards, but he doesn't eat the lizards, but he also loves to hunt the mice, and he eats them. Mm. We once came upon the tail and the head of a mouse in our living room. He'd eaten the middle part. I love him for killing those rats. He also kills rats and mice. He's a good animal. Sometimes he'll come up to me and he'll just look at me and go, meow. And I'll say, what's the matter? Is your bowl empty? Is the door open? Door needs to be open. I'll walk in the kitchen and the door needs to be open or the food dish needs to be. He'll tell me. He'll just come up to me, meow, meow. He'll look right at me. I'll get up and the door needs to be opened or the food needs to be put in his dish. Lately this winter, though, he comes up and he just complains because he doesn't like the cold weather. He doesn't like it when it's rainy. He'll come up and the door's open and the food is dish is full, but he's still meowing. He's just complaining about. Animals can be very smart, really smart. That's what he's saying here. An ox knows its owner. A donkey knows where it's being fed. But Israel did not know its master and it did not know who was providing for them. Hmm. Well, what's wrong? What's wrong here? Why is there the spiritual, so, the spiritual climate so bad? Well, look, verse 4 tells us, a sinful nation, a people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. That's a problem, but it's real, not the core of the problem. Why do I say that? The second half of verse 4 nails what the real problem. Look what the real problem is. They have abandoned the Lord. Ah, that's the problem. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. 
You see, the Lord had made provision for their sin. Did he not? Yes, he did. The Lord had made provision for their iniquity. The sacrifices of the temple, they were there so that they might have peace with God. The sacrifices looked forward to the coming Messiah. The Lord had made provision for their sin. The Lord had made provision for their iniquity. The Lord had made provision for them who act corruptly, but they had no place to go to find peace with God because they had abandoned the one who had given them provision. They had abandoned the temple. They had abandoned the sacrifices. That which would enable them to find peace with God in spite of their sin. They had the sacrifices, the temple. Now we, in turn, we have the Messiah. We have Jesus. He is the provision, amen? He is the provision for our iniquity. And even though we are believers, even though we struggle, even though we have shortcomings, there is a provision found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one has peace with God except through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said, all sins. Do you hear what he said? All sin is forgivable, except one. And that's, you're probably thinking, well, that's my, Pastor Neil, you don't know what I've done. Well, I don't want to know what you've done. <laughs> I don't want to know what you know. But you know the one sin that is unforgivable? The one sin that is unforgivable? Jesus says, Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Oh, what's that, Pastor Neil? That's rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. That's saying the, the Holy Spirit is, is the work of the devil. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But see, that's the provision for our sin. See, the Jews had the temple. They had the sacrifices. They could find peace with God. They could find forgiveness from God if they had gone to the temple, if they had gone back to the Lord, if they had used the sacrifices, the sin offerings that were there. But guess what? They had abandoned the Lord. They had despised the Holy One of Israel. They had turned away from the provision that God had given. They had turned to Baal and the false pagan gods, and there was no peace with God. The same is true for us. The same is true for us. We can find peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, either as a non-believer, as we come to him, or as a believer, because he is the provision by which we can find forgiveness, for our iniquities, our evil doing, and our sins. What we see here is there were some good leaders, and oftentimes good leaders, good kings, good presidents can make a difference. Isn't that true? They can make a difference. In this election cycle, a lot of people have been talking about President Reagan and how good it was under his eight years, and he was a good man, amen? Amen. He made some mistakes, he wasn't, but he was a good-hearted man, and he tried to do what was best for the presidency. And a lot of people were saying, weren't those the good years? And they were good years. However, 
I have a feeling that our righteousness was just a veneer. Just a veneer. The people's righteousness was just a veneer under the Reagan administration. Why? Because what we see now is we begin to see the heart of most of the people here in the United States. Not a majority, but a lot of them could be described in the first part of verse 4. Isn't that true? A sinful nation weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who have acted corruptly, and they have done what? They have abandoned the Holy One of Israel. There's a lot of parallels between our times and the times of Isaiah. Some good men, but oftentimes the veneer of righteousness was only paper thin. Waiting for a man like Ahaz to take the throne, or even worse, the son of Hezekiah, Manasseh, who turned out to be the most wicked king that ever took the throne of the southern kingdom. So we need to understand the spiritual climate in Isaiah's time. Thirdly, we need to understand the consequences seen in seen coming in Isaiah's time. We need to understand the consequences seen coming in Isaiah's time, and then we see that in verses 7 and 8. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them, and your presence is desolation, is overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut, like a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Now, what's listed here are the consequences, and they're so sure, they're so sure that Isaiah writes them in the present tense. Did you see that? This hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. It will happen. And so it's, it's prophetic in the sense that it's, it's written in the, in the present tense because he sees it as so sure it is going to happen. Now, do you notice some more comparisons? Jerusalem is compared to three things in verse 8. Look what it says. The daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem, is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. The first two are, what he's talking about is when they would uh, have the crop and it would be coming close to fruition, they would build a shelter. And what would happen? They'd have one or two people there just to keep the, the thieves from stealing the crops. That was the point. But the point he's making is, is Jerusalem is like undefended, easily overtaken by a small army. That's his point. It's like a shelter, like a hut. Just a few men just come and push it out of the way. That's his point. Undefended. Then he goes on, like a besieged city. Now, what would happen in those times, most of the large cities had w large walls around them. And so when an invading army would come, they would just surround the city with the army. So nobody could come in and nobody would go out. And what would happen is they'd just sit there and wait. Then sooner or later, they'd run out of food, they'd run out of water, and they were easily defeated or easily surrendered. That's the point. It wasn't that there was any strength in the city. There's no strength in the besieged city. 
The only strength is revolves around the, the besieging army because they just had to have the patience to wait them out. It was that way for Israel. Like a hut, undefended. Like a besieged city, no hope. So Isaiah sees these consequences. The consequences listed in verses 7 and 8 are directly related to what was described in verses 2 through 6. The consequences have come upon them because of their actions. That's what he's saying. Now, as a grown-ups, as grown-ups, we need to do one thing for our children and our grandchildren. You know what the one thing that we, the most important thing we can do for them? It's teach them that the consequences of their actions will come upon them. Remember what we've always said, what you sow, you will reap. If we, if we shield them from the consequences of their silly, irrational, stupid behavior, we're doing them a disservice, are we not? Now, the story was in the news about this mother who took her son, who broke his parole and took him to Mexico. Do you see that? Remember that? We saw that. She, she thought she was doing a loving thing because her son was going to be put in jail because he broke his parole from an accident. He had, called, he, called, he had killed four people in an accident. And she took him away to Mexico to hide him from the authorities. She wasn't doing him a favor. She was not loving him. That was the worst thing that she could do because now the authorities are going to allow the consequences of his action to come upon him in a much harder way than would have happened in the first place. You see, my friends, the best thing that we can do for our children and for the young ones around us is to teach them that there are consequences to their foolish, silly behavior and not protect them from that. Now, as grown-ups, we also need to remember this. <laughs> we need to ask ourselves this question. Here's the question you want to ask yourself. If what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, what are the consequences of my actions and my words? Think about that. What will this do to my marriage? What will this do to my job? What will this do to my health? What will this do to my church? You see, you need to ask yourself that question. What are the consequences of my action? What effect will it have on me and my family, my kids? Ask yourself that question. And many times, if you ponder that question, you keep yourself from doing something really, really stupid <laughs> and harmful. Story about some college students, four of them. They were going to take um, a test on Monday, but they wanted to party all weekend. They went out of state and partied. Slept in all Sunday and didn't get in to the university. They were out of state. They traveled back into the state. and um, They decided to tell the professor, they were late for the exam, that they were late because they had a flat tire on their car coming back from a visit out of state. They had a flat tire. 
So the professor was understanding. He says, well, you can take the test on Tuesday. So Monday afternoon, they spent the whole day studying and got prepared. They got to class, and the professor gave them their test booklets and put them in separate rooms. And they opened their test book. And the first question involved the course of study, and it was only worth five points. Piece of cake. They answered it. They turned the page. The second question was worth 95 points. And the question was, which tire? There are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to our actions. Okay, fourth insight is found in verse 9. We need to understand the Lord's actions during Isaiah's time. Look what it says. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. One final comparison. The Lord compared, it, compared them to oxes, to donkeys, to an injured person, to a hut, to a besieged city. And the final comparison is to Sodom and Gomorrah. What's the difference between Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah were completely destroyed. All the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah except Lot and his two daughters escaped. Everybody else were killed. He says here, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors. What was the, what's the difference between Sodom and Gomorrah and the city of Jerusalem? Hmm. What's the difference? Both were going to come under the judgment of God. What's the difference? The covenant that God had made to the Jewish people. Ah. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29 and 30. You'll read the story of the chapters of the blessings of obedience and what? The curses of disobedience, but that's not all. If you go on to chapter 30, the promise of restoration, the promise of restoration because of the character and the nature of God. See, that's what the difference was. See what he says here? Unless the Lord of hosts, unless the Lord of hosts. And what are they talking about? They're talking about the promises that he had made based on who he was and what he was. He was a loving God. He was a holy God. He was a, ho- he was a, a God of justice. But he also was a God of mercy, compassion, filled with grace. And he says, unless the Lord of hosts would have been left it as Sodom and Gomorrah. We need to understand the Lord's actions. Now, there's a parallel passage found in the New Testament. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 2. Very close to it. You might want to turn, just look at it while I read it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And, Paul writes, you were dead in sin and trespasses. Dead in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Do you see the parallels? Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh and 
indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Do you see that? See that? Children of wrath, living in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But wait, wait. There's more. Look what he says. But God. He's writing different words, but the same idea. Dead in sin and trespasses. But here, wait, there's more. But God. But God. Look what he says. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If it had not been for the Lord of hosts, Isaiah writes, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Wait, wait, wait. But God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Let me ask all of us a question. Where does the but God fill into, fit into our lives? Well, I'll make it really personal. Have you made room for the but God in your life? You're saying, what do you mean, Pastor Neil, but God? Well, let me illustrate it. I'm really struggling in my relationship with my mate, but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love. My job is not really going really very well. I might lose it. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love. I have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. But God. The doctor wants to take some more tests. I'm really worried. But God, being rich in mercy and his love towards us. I'm having so much trouble with temptation. But God, being rich in mercy and his love towards us. I'm all alone and I feel so lonely. But God, being rich in his mercy towards us. I'm really struggling with depression, discouragement. But God, being rich in his mercy towards us. I don't think I can go on. But God, being rich in his mercy towards us. If we look at the situation that Isaiah was facing, it looked kind of dismal, didn't it? <laughs> Really dismal. At face value, at face value, it looked very dismal. 
But he says, if it hadn't been for the Lord of hosts, ah, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, but they weren't because he had made a promise to them. He had made a covenant with them and he was going to restore them. Maybe your situation looks kind of dismal you find yourself in. But God, being rich in his mercy, as he has come towards us. That begins in the day that we accept Christ and it continues on through every day that we live on this earth. My encouragement, I wouldn't be, don't be discouraged. Don't discount the character and the nature of God, my friends. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. Amen? All of God's kids have troubles. But God, being rich in his mercy towards us, don't discount him. Don't discount. Don't discount his holiness. Don't discount his justice. Don't, oh, don't make that mistake. But don't discount his compassion, his mercy, his grace his patience, his long-suffering with you, my friends. Make room for the but God in your life this morning. Pray with me, please. Father, we, we're so thankful for the book of Isaiah. It puts us right where we find ourselves now. We've had some great leaders, but we've had some losers. We've had some great things happen in our country, but we've also had some terrible things happen and are happening. Looks pretty dismal. If it hadn't been for the Lord of hosts, we'd have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm. Lord, Show your mercy upon your people this morning. Show your compassion upon this dear nation we live in. Show your goodness to each person. Show them that you haven't forgotten them, that you have something good for them. Not necessarily what we want or what they want, but what you want. And you are the source of all goodness. You're the source of all grace and mercy and compassion. Shower that upon your people, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me this morning. <laughs>